Hi, I'm Peter Cahoon, and this is Better Ideas. Now, this week, it's all about buying and understanding Aboriginal art. Now, with Aboriginal contemporary art gallery Nicola Dare, now, she regularly trips to some of the most remote parts of Australia, building relationships with art centres and artists. Now, she's travelled to the Western Desert, to the Kimberley, Arnhem Land, and visited the Anaju Patajandara Kanatikajara people. Oh, look, I'm hope that is remotely close to the pronunciation but it's simply known as APY lands giving her a deep understanding of the country and culture at the heart of the art she sells now make sure you're listening very important using ACAST app to listen to this one to watch some of the beautiful artwork we're talking about as we discuss with Nicola the amazing artwork coming out of some of the northern reaches of this great nation these these pictures are absolutely stunning I'm talking with art dealer Nicola Dare. I'm buying and understanding Aboriginal art. So where do you start with one of the most ancient art forms in human history? The Aboriginal art has obviously been around for thousands and thousands of years. And Nicola, in the last 10 to 15 years, it's really exploded internationally as, a, as not only a valid art form, but a highly sought after art form as well. Yeah, no, absolutely it has. And we look at, you know, the contemporary Aboriginal art movement really started in the 70s at a place called Papunya in the central desert. And for many years, it was quite quiet. And then sort of towards the sort of late 90s, there was, a, in fact, in 1990, the Venice, the Venice Biennale, the two art, Aboriginal artists were taken over there for the first time. And that was a sort of significant turning point, taking the artists onto that international stage. Mm. It grew from there and art centres grew up in the communities where the artists painted. And then, yeah, there's been, you know, a lot of activity and a lot of the institutions started buying the arts in museums and it was taken to a much, much wider audience globally. And of course, Aboriginal art, I mean, if you're looking at, at putting it in your home, you'd be among some of the most affluent and most influential and highly celebrated celebrities collecting this type of art now yes. around the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, they've just done a Steve Martin, you know, the actor, um, he's a really avid collector of Aboriginal art and they have just done an exhibition in New York at the Gagascon Gallery there which you know apparently got extraordinary well did didn't apparently it did get amazing reviews. Aboriginal art absolutely sits on the same level as any contemporary art in the world you know that sits on that same platform. What makes it unique? Let's drill down a little bit now what makes it quite special. I mean, here in Australia, perhaps we take it for granted, the dot paintings and the, the reference to nature and landscape, but it's highly significant on a whole lot of different levels. Why have you personally had such a great connection with this type of art? I mean, it's interesting that you talk about the dot paintings and there, and there are dot paintings in Aboriginal art, but there's such a vast diversity of style, you know, in different regions in Australia. So you've got in, in the top sort of Arnhem land you you've got the work they do lots of work on with pandanus and weavings and they work on the bark so they paint very sort of cross hatching on bark and then you've got those sort of big western desert artists and their great color and that's quite abstract their work it's not really a dot in sight that's more kind of central desert and then you've got the Kimberley in in western desert and they paint with the big ochre you know they paint quite simple works but using ochres which are 
part of country. There's a great diversity and I think that's what I love. People I, you know, sell paintings to love. There really is something for everyone's aesthetic taste, something that they can connect to aesthetically. Then they can find out more about that particular art region, that particular painting, the story that comes with that painting. is. Let's, let's talk about that. That's important. When, yeah. you, when you're selecting a piece of art, it's not only a visual, like improve a room visually. Your work that you're promoting has great stories attached. They're conversational starters, this work. Tell us about some of the people that are painting this, the situations, the environments, because you're on the road all the time visiting these remote communities. Just paint a picture, if you will, pardon the pun, of, of what we'd find in some of these incredibly creative remote communities. Um, well, you'd find, you know, the communities um, are often where the artists will have grown up and they are in in their country, on their country, and that's what the artists paint. So they paint the stories of that country and that's really important for keeping culture strong within the communities so they're the senior artists and elders can paint and they can educate the young kids in community about culture and the stories. And then sort of, I suppose, more importantly, then they're generously passing those stories on through their art to non-Indigenous people, to people in the cities. And it gives us an opportunity by passing those stories on to us, it keeps their culture strong and they're very aware of that. The more they can share those stories and the more those stories are spoken of, the stronger that culture will remain mm. and that's really important. And I read that a lot of these artists are quite elderly, the 70s and 80s yeah, and yeah. a lot of women, it's a very communal yeah. contribution. Yeah. So in a community, in an art centre, I mean, you, you would never get... An artist just doesn't paint alone in a studio like you would be in, I don't know if you were an artist in Sydney, quite solitary. It's really collaborative and there's the kids are there, the dogs are there, everyone's there because it's a really social experience and that's really important to them. Can you describe the process? You mentioned a, a, a solitary artist would you know, wrestle with an idea, wrestle with a concept, but because there's you know, a few people working on a piece, I mean, how do they decide what they're going to paint? I mean, do they just start? I mean, how, does, how do oh, these yeah. things generate? So if they're doing a collaborative piece, the institutions, they'll paint bigger collaborative paintings or the whole community will paint. And then I think it's, I mean, I've never seen the artist paint a big piece together, but I think what they do is that they will all mark out their bit of country. So a lot of the work is mapping country, you know, mapping significant sites within the country that they live. And each artist will have a different different bit of country that they, they are, that relates to them. So they'll map that out on an, on an artwork and then they'll, they will all sit and paint at the same time, you know, and then sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll be singing to the work. It's an incredible thing to observe. Mm. There's so many stories. So each artwork, will, it, it'll often t sort of talk about a, a specific site that's sort of quite meaningful to the artist. So the artists, when I talk about the stories, they're, they're painting their country. And so how that country was formed. There's the, the dream time, which was the sort of the creation period. And then you've got dreamings, which are the stories. And dreaming is the kind of law and culture around those stories. There was very sophisticated sort of 
systems of who you could and who you couldn't marry. And so this, a story could be in the painting, it could be telling that story. And do the artists sort of give you a sort of guide? <laughs> With art centres, they provide certificates of authenticity and often, so in that will give the artist's name and the country they come from and often it will have a little interpretation of the story of the artwork. And that's sort of really, and each artwork has such a different story. So it's sort of, that's important to understand and read them. And different artists will give you different levels of their story. Some will just go, my mother's country, and that's it. And others, you'll, they'll get into the real detail of, of that country. And that, as non-Indigenous people, or, or even within their own culture, that you, you know, there's layers of information you're given at different times and different points in your life. So... It's quite complex. It's really complex. They can only paint their story and they're part of the country. Is is that correct? So you're getting a real fingerprint of part of Australia. Yeah, each artist will will have a you know a story given them to them down the sort of family line, and they will only be able to paint that story and that part of the country that they live on. And country, in when I keep referring to country, it's I mean that in in terms of what country is to an Aboriginal person, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, is country is part of them. They are country. There isn't a, there is no line to then, that's who they are. I'll tell you what it is. It's a combination of landscape and self-portrait then because they're actually putting their family lineage in the landscape and therefore it's a combination of portraiture really and, and, and landscape. In fact, actually, th- th- that's a really good point. That, you've said it much better than I did. Um, but at the, so two years ago at the Archibald, the exhibition in Sydney is is one of the the paintings that went into the an art, the Archibald is a portrait prize or portrait exhibition was a landscape painting because and it went in because it was seen as a self portrait. That's the connection. There is you know it was classified as yeah, a portrait. It was classified as a portrait. We've been covering sustainability as, as a regular theme on, on this podcast, and you're dealing with people who have sustained their existence for 60-odd thousand years. What have you brought home yourself to incorporate? How has it changed you, do you think, in terms of dealing with these people who interpret the land? You know, they know this country. You know, they know if you put a mine up in an Adani that it will pollute the water down in Sydney. They know the country that, that they've lived on and existed on for 65,000 years. They know how to backburn the bush so you don't get raging forest fires coming through. You know, they maintain country and that's what they do. And they did and have done for so long. And so that's incredible to witness. And you sort of see that when you're out in community. They can find water. They can find food. I mean, you know, we would, I'd be dead in a day. Yeah. Is it inspirational for you to go to these places or confronting? Oh, it's inspirational because there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn from Aboriginal people about the country that we all live on. So, yeah, inspirational. There are confronting elements to it, but it's more inspirational. I might be drawing a a bit of a bow here, but um, and as we know, Aboriginal culture just didn't write anything down. But in, in a sense, the art. The fact that people can only talk about their family lineage history from their part of the country, it means that the, at least that, that message is coming down through that part yes. of the country and hopefully not being extinguished. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the, you know, the message comes through language that 
you know, hopefully we we still keep keep going and art and then jumbo, which is, is ceremonies and singing and you know, there's lots of ways you can continue to to pass culture and stories on. Oh, after this, you realise yeah. just how important this is to be investing in this yeah. in this art because it's keeping Australian history alive. Yeah, absolutely. keeping those stories alive. Yeah, keeping the stories alive, and and the artists know that, and that's why they're so generous. You know, so generous in giving us the opportunity as non-indigenous people to, you know, understand their culture and continue that story. And it looks good. Looks good too. And it looks good. <laughs> Double win. <laughs> I'm talking with art dealer Nicola Dare. I'm buying and understanding Aboriginal art. I mean, we know the popularity of, of Aboriginal art in the recent years, and, and last year and this year, the, the famous Win Prize here in Sydney, last year was won by an Aboriginal artist, so it's really right on trend. If someone was looking to invest in, a, in an Aboriginal piece of art, what are the questions that they may ask or should be asking? Or should be asking. Take your time when you consider buying Aboriginal art. Just take your time and do your homework. There's some great places you can go and find out. It's really important, I think, to think about where the how you're buying the art and that where you're buying it from is a, an ethical has ethical business practices. You know, the industry has been tarred with unethical practices, and so it's important that we, as a buyer, that you're observing ethical business practices. And there's places you can go. The Indigenous Art Code they provide a framework for good bus- business practice. And you know, as a gallery owner, we cite signatories of the code as our artists, um, and actually as a buyer you can go there and have a lot of your questions answered about buying Aboriginal art. Because authenticity is absolutely key and making sure that the artists are getting their due recognition and and remuneration. I mean questions like I mean questions you may ask is who is the artist and make sure the gallery owner can answer that. Where's the art from? Due providence. How did they get the artwork? I mean these are questions that are quite valid for someone to ask a someone selling them the art, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, the more questions you ask, the better. Different places you can go to buy the art. And, you know, you you can go to the art centres. Some of them are set up that you can buy directly from the art centres. But often you can go to a gallery that the art centres work with. They choose their galleries that they work with. It's a, it's a big decision and that decision is based on respect and trust. And so as a result of working with the art centres, those galleries can absolutely ensure authenticity of the work because it's coming directly from the art centres. And it's important that the artists are paid and remunerated correctly. Nicola, you don't particularly have a native accent and no. and, and, and you're blonde, okay? <laughs> but you obviously have a, a great affinity to native art. How did you get into it? Yeah, oh gosh, oh, a bit of a sort of roundabout story, but I came to Australia when I was 18 and in fact worked up in the Northern Territory and just fell in love, worked with a community up there and fell in love with the country that was Australia and years passed and then I came back in sort of 2005 with my family and an opportunity came up for me to to open the gallery and I I was very nervous actually, they said, you know, the business um, partner I was working with said oh yeah and I you know I think we should work I've known a couple of art centers and we should put some art on the walls and I was like oh no I don't think I could do that and anyway I did and 10 years later I've had an extraordinary 10 years because 
It's not just bringing a painting to Sydney to a nice, beautifully painted white gallery and selling it. It's rich with experience and relationship and going out to the country where the artists paint and understanding what it is that they're painting and the stories that they're telling. And then because they entrust me with their work, which is a real responsibility. And also my customers trust that I do the right thing by the artists. So it's good. Someone looking to buy a piece of Aboriginal art, I mean, what's the entry point in terms of monetary value? I mean, how long's a piece of string? But what, what would a, an entry point for people buying an authentic piece of, of Aboriginal native art and what would they be looking at potentially? So, be, I mean, we've got, you know, beautiful smaller works, 30 by, you know, 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres, and they start at $150. And then you can work up from that. I mean, I think if you're looking for a sort of more significant piece for your home you know behind your couch or dining room table you know you'd probably be looking between sort of fifteen hundred dollars and three thousand dollars and then you can go up and up and up I mean you know they've just sold Paddy Bedford work in Sotheby's in the UK for a quarter of a million dollars so (laughs) (laughs) there's various degrees of (laughs) (laughs) see how close we get yeah you've got a background in textiles and interior design Mm. so what tips would you be giving people in trying to choose a piece of art I mean can we can we be that crude in terms of choosing the right piece for you yeah I think just go and have a look and see what's out there as I said there's a great diversity of aesthetic and social media has been amazing. A lot of the art centres have social, have Instagram and Facebook now. So you can really go and see what aesthetic you like. And there's, I think, tune into that and then think about your space. I mean, do the old, see what size you want, put the newspaper up on the wall and just get an understanding of what it is that you're looking for. And then you can look into palettes and tones, more kind of tones of what suits your room. You'd put a different painting in a bedroom than you would in a in a living area so you can there's many ways you can yeah look at that tell me about i'm very interested in this you you have the ability or you believe you have an innate ability now given your experience to tell the difference between a male artist and a female artist looking looking at their work can you explain some of the differences because a lot of this work is done by female artists elderly female artists a lot of the artists are very elderly female artists. And I, I remember when I started, I said, why, how come everyone's so old when they start painting? And they're like, well, because they have kids and families. And, you know, you can't just take a day off to come and sit in an art centre and paint. There's lots of female artists. I mean, I do, there's proportionately more women artists than men. I also wonder whether that's what my aesthetic goes to so you know there's you know the chances are the chances are I might see many you know thousands of paintings a year and yeah I probably do pick more women than men yeah but there's not so many male artists the very senior male artists aren't sadly around anymore there's you know the women are stronger we talk about the remoteness and, and some of these communities are confronting. They haven't got a lot of infrastructure and they're sort of, you know, living very close to the land, if not off the land. But any money they do get in terms of their art does give these women power. So in, in investing in Aboriginal art, hopefully through the right ethical practices, we'll get back to these communities and it gives these artists a little bit of Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, and that's really important. And that's why ethical practice is really important, because then the money goes directly back to to the artists. And then that sort of filters out into the family groups. 
Um, and, you know, more often those communities, the art centre is the only place that you can you can earn money, you know, and good money to survive. So mm. it's, yeah, that's really, really important. And if someone was to walk into the gallery and pick a piece, they'll not, not only have something beautiful, but a great story to tell. This great quote, I think I read from you, that these Aboriginal communities, they, there's a philosophy where they've been handed down from generation to generation. What was it? it was first, we, first we hear, then we see then we think, and then we speak. Complete opposite to a lot of Western yeah. <laughs> Westerners in the way they communicate. But there's a certain level of, of ancient sort of communication here as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's them giving us their stories in art, in the form of art that then we become the custodians of. And, and that's really a powerful place for us to be and to, to continue to keep culture strong in the Aboriginal culture strong. Is it unfair to ask you what type of Aboriginal art can you actually go in there and sort of say this is from Arnhem Land, this is from the Kimberley, you can distinguish between these types of styles? Yeah, I hope so. Really? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, yeah, absolutely. I could tell you probably, I could then dig deeper and tell you exactly the art centre, who the family is that painted it, yeah. I mean, there's such a sort of family line of how the artists paint because often they're painting the same story, whether it's their mother's story or their father's story. They're only allowed to paint certain stories. You know who's painting what. So you can decode what you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, but you could, you know, you could decode, you know, that's, I've been doing this 10 years, but it doesn't take long to see the different, the diversity of different kind of types of art within the market. How long would one of these sort of major pieces take the artist to complete? Gosh, I mean, a really intricate work would take, you know, weeks, could take months, depends on what's going on in community. You know, sometimes it sort of can be a bit stop-start, you know, depending on what's happening. Long time. And they're acrylics mainly? Yeah, the majority are, are acrylics. So acrylics on canvas and sometimes on linen. And then you've got the East Kimberley or the Kimberley artists and they paint a lot with the, using the ochres. And in Arnhem Land, actually, they use the ochres as well. So they collect the ochres on country. Certain artists, certain, the men are allowed to collect certain ochres and the women others. And then they're used and mixed with a fixative, but then they use them on the canvas, yeah. So it's a combination of, of natural ochres from the local country yeah. with... with commercial colours as well? Um, Yes, they can use acrylics within the ochres, but it's quite new, interestingly. So they've just started to mix acrylics in with some of the ochre work. Wow. So you say the men are the only ones allowed to go and collect the the ochre from the land? The men are allowed to go and collect certain coloured ochres from some areas, and then the women are allowed to go and collect other ochres from other areas. It depends on where they... Yeah, where they're allowed to go, really. And this is some sort of spiritual tradition, is it all? Yes, it would be. It's sort of cultural law. Wow. You don't realise when looking at a piece of Aboriginal how, how, how layered and deep and meaningful these things are. They're not only beautiful, but they're incredible stories embedded mm. in them. Yeah, no, it's really, it's incredible. And there's so much to learn. And I think, I mean, just from the aesthetic, having Aboriginal art in your home is just just incredible. But they keep giving, you know, you keep, there's layers to the work and you can, you know, really dig deep and understand a bit more about culture, which mm. is really important. Could you just give us, finally, just a couple of tips that people should be wary of if they walk in now, now that we've encouraged everyone to go and have a look a bit closer at some Aboriginal art and if they were to buy it. Top three tips to remember. You know, go to websites like the Indigenous Art Code and do your research. Really grill your gallery owner. 
they should be able to tell you about the artists, the community. They should be totally financially transparent with you. And so I think that's really important. And then, you know, the last thing, buy what you love, you know, buy something that you've have found you know makes you smile or makes you cry or you know that you feel a connection with and yeah that would be my top three tips <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed that chat on aboriginal art as much as i did absolutely powerful images if you've been watching on the on the acast app and and nicola dare what a great advocate for, for aboriginal art in this country and what great advice picking art pick something that makes you smile pretty simple now next week Ed Hamaji, Fast Ed from Better Homes and Gardens, he's coming on. He's not talking about food. He's talking about his other great passion, which is photography and how to create your own masterpiece for the walls. Now, don't forget uh, this week on 7 at 7, Better Homes and Gardens. And Joanna and I are having another amazing home walk around. It's the Seed House in Castle Crag. I tell you, this one is right up there with one of the strongest homes we've ever seen. You've been listening to Better Ideas. Now, Loretta Farrell is my producer, Nikki Hamilton's executive producer, and I'm your host, Pete Calhoun. This is a 7 West Media podcast.